It's Revelation chapter 20. We're visiting this morning in, in our church. We, we tend to be working through books of the Bible verse by verse. We're trying not to miss anything. We're trying uh, not to skip any hard parts, uh, things that might be difficult to understand or uh, difficult to receive uh, and apply. Mike, we're trying hard not to skip the hard parts, right? And so uh, that's important. The Lord has given us, <clears throat> excuse me, all of his words. We'll be a church of all of his words uh, to the extent that we can. So uh, we're getting close in our study through Revelation to the end of the book. And so you wouldn't be surprised uh, in this chapter to see things that happen uh, toward the end uh, of the timeline. We're, uh, we're, we're uh, now beyond the end of the tribulation. So recall last week, chapter 19, uh, we saw allusions to that final battle at Armageddon, uh, the Lord dealing with uh, those who have arrayed themselves against Israel, Brother Ray, at that time. Uh, and now we're moving beyond Armageddon into um, um, the millennium. There we go. The millennial reign of Christ, the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ. And so we see things here associated with the millennial reign of Christ. Uh, we'll see allusions to the, the, the resurrection of uh, Old Testament believers as well as those who died during the tribulation. Uh, we'll see the outset of the millennium. Uh, we'll see allusions to the resurrection, Brother Ray, of the lost uh, at the end or just after uh, the millennium. Uh, we see allusions, of course, to uh, the final revolt uh, of the enemy at the end of the millennium. Uh, we don't see yet allusions in this chapter to the new heaven and the new earth. Of course, that would be the new Jerusalem that comes into view, our final resting place for eternity. But uh, that'll come. And so well, certainly this is, a, this is an important uh, chapter. Um, do this with me before we jump in. I want you just to see uh, some allusions to this uh, future thousand-year uh, reign of Christ upon earth. So following the future seven-year tribulation period, following that return of Christ with us and the battle of Armageddon at the end of the tribulation, uh, the Lord ushers in his thousand-year millennium on earth. You see, uh, let's see, six times we have allusions to this time frame uh, beginning in chapter 2 uh, for a thousand years. Uh, forgive me, chapter 20, verse 2, thousand years at the end of verse 2. Uh, in verse 3, till the thousand years should be fulfilled toward the end of verse 3. Uh, look in verse 4. Uh, Zach, do you see a thousand years in, in there somewhere? Uh, the very end of verse 4 reigned with Christ a thousand years. Uh, verse 5, the rest of the dead lived not until the thousand years uh, were finished. Uh, verse 6, um, uh, shall reign with him a thousand years. Uh, verse 7, when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. So, right, he'll be bound uh, throughout the thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, uh, loosed for a little season, Mike, at the end of that. He'll evidently lead a revolt uh, at the end of the millennium uh, and then cast in a lake of fire for all of eternity. And so uh, the uh, thousand-year millennial reign of Christ... 
Uh, just stop and, and, and think for a moment some things that we've studied about the future millennium. Of course, it, it does seem to be here on a renewed earth. Uh, it's, it's not the new heaven and the new earth that the Lord prophesies that uh, he will give us at the end of the millennium, but it's a renewed earth. Uh, we'll, we'll be there bodily. Christ will have returned bodily. Uh, the earth will have been renewed physically. And think about some of the things we've studied. It seems to be changed physically uh, pretty considerably from the earth today. That, that's probably not a bad thing. Uh, there'll be peace in the animal kingdom, uh, and we'll be at peace with the animal kingdom. Mike, we won't have to worry about bears and wolves. I don't know if you worry about them much today, do you, brother? Uh, but we'll not have to worry about that. Um, bears and wolves not have to worry about each other either. Brother Ray, the, the world will be as the Lord intended it to be uh, prior to the fall of man at the garden. Now, we know that some evidently will need to be saved. And just a very quick reminder, uh, think about people who are saved during the tribulation period, uh, but who do not die. Uh, they will, if you will, just walk into the, the tribulation, forgive me, the millennium. Uh, they won't go to heaven first. They'll, they'll, just, they'll be here on the earth at the end of the tribulation. Uh, Christ will come with those of us who died previously, uh, and, and those folks will just walk into the millennium, if you will. Seems to be the case that they will have children throughout the millennium. The uh, Bible talks about them having 100 years, Mike, to repent, to be saved, otherwise they will die. Uh, and so uh, at the end of the millennium, there'll be that final revolt that led by Satan, no doubt, who's loose for a little season, uh, but it would be the unsaved children of these uh, uh, tribulation saints uh, that uh, evidently uh, who are led by Satan at that time. So that's a little bit of a difficulty or a, a complex idea, but, but you can understand that, bear that in mind. Uh, there will be some who will need to be saved during the millennium, but uh, will be saved still, and uh, our sin nature will be gone, uh, dealt with once and for all, and uh, we uh, will not struggle with our own sin. Does that sound like a good day? That sounds like a good day to me. Uh, to no longer be struggling uh, with sin, temptation to sin, that'll be a good day. Uh, we, we'll no doubt deal with sinners, um, of course, the Lord will no doubt keep them uh, in line. So there, there's much more that could be said, but let's, uh, uh, let's jump in here. Revelation chapter 20, uh, verse 1. If you're visiting this morning, we use the King James Bible. Uh, so I, if you have different Bible, the words, of course, will be a little bit different. But there's King James Bibles in the pews. Uh, Revelation 20, verse 1. John writes under inspiration, not his words, but God's words. Uh, he writes what, what he sees um, in this, this vision. He says, I saw an angel uh, come down from heaven having the key of the bottomless pit uh, and a great chain in his hand. That, that's what he saw. Uh, and he laid hold of the dragon. Uh, the dragon, this is the devil. Uh, he's called the dragon in Revelation 12, uh, in Revelation 13, in Revelation 16. Uh, the idea being he's a, he's a powerful, vicious, dangerous, 
uh, enemy of, of both men and God. He, he's a dragon. Uh, he's pictured of, uh, as a dragon. So this, uh, by the way, the devil's an angel also, right? Uh, he, he's a fallen angel, one who pridefully rebelled against God. So another angel comes, lays hold on the dragon, uh, who's called that old serpent. Uh, that, of course, alludes back to which chapter? Uh, which, which book do you think of when you see uh, Mike? He's right, you think of Genesis chapter 3, right? The serpent came. Uh, sure, so that, so that title reminds us, hey, this is the same one uh, who tempted uh, Eve and Adam uh, all the way back in the garden. Uh, John writes, this one is the devil. So he makes that clear. Uh, and Satan, uh, Satan, uh, adversary, has the idea of, of one who's our adversary uh, or provoker. He, he provokes uh, people to sin. Of course, we don't need his help. We have our own sin nature uh, that provokes us to sin. I think too often we give the devil credit for tempting us. We, we know we struggle with the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. We really don't need any help from the enemy uh, to, uh, to fall into temptation. In any event, uh, he's called the dragon, the old serpent, the devil, Satan, uh, the good news is the end of verse 2, uh, he's bound uh, a thousand years. So uh, throughout the thousand year future millennial reign of Christ, uh, the devil is, is bound uh, for a thousand years. Verse 3, uh, this angel casts him into the bottomless pit, uh, shut him up and set a seal upon him uh, that he should deceive the nations no more. Remember, he's a deceiver. Uh, that's part of his strategy. Uh, he will um, uh, empower the Antichrist uh, who will deceive the nations throughout the tribulation period, that future seven-year period. Uh, but for this, these thousand years, he'll, he'll be out of that business. Uh, he'll be cast into the bottomless pit. Uh, it'll be sealed shut. He will deceive no more. Uh, John says, till, until the thousand years should be fulfilled, uh, and after that, he must be uh, loosed a little season. And so, sure, uh, this will uh, begin to kind of all come together. Uh, he'll not have any ability to influence or deceive or tempt uh, throughout the entire thousand-year millennial reign of Christ, but he'll be loosed uh, for a little season uh, at the end. Uh, he'll lead that final revolt uh, and then be dealt with once and for all time. Uh, Zach, isn't it amazing that even after the millennium, uh, the devil will still be in the business of revolting against Christ and leading people uh, who will be willingly join his final revolt against Christ. Brother Ray, after the cross, we know people are still uh, rebelling against Christ. Uh, in the tribulation period, some will continue to rebel against Christ. Uh, even in the millennium, uh, the some of the children of the tribulation saints will rebel against Christ. And even at the end of the tribulation period, some uh, will rebel against Christ. That's, that's our nature. That's, that's the, the sin nature that we've inherited uh, from Adam. Uh, we understand that. That's, that's the sin nature that so desperately needs 
uh, a Savior. Aren't you glad this morning for a Savior, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ? Lord, thank you. Father God, thank you for sending your only begotten Son uh, to that manger some 2,000 years ago. Lord Jesus, thank you for your willingness to leave a perfect heaven, to take on flesh, uh, to experience all the indignities, most certainly including the cross uh, and, and death. Uh, yeah, we, we need a Savior uh, that badly. Look at verse 4. John sees the uh, tribulation saints. Uh, evidently, these are the resurrected tribulation saints. Uh, so it would seem to be the case that here just after the uh, tribulation, uh, just before the Lord inaugurates or, or begins the millennium, uh, he will resurrect those who died during the tribulation period. So Zach, this will really be the, the second uh, uh, resurrection that we see in scripture. The first, of course, be the rapture, right? Catching away uh, of believers alive and dead before the tribulation as we understand it. I, of course, I, and you, you know this, there are different views of when the tribulation uh, will occur. By the way, some even reject the idea of a millennium. Uh, but just here in this chapter, we've seen six literal references to a thousand year period. Uh, some will reject the idea of a millennium. Some see uh, the rapture at a different time, perhaps during the tribulation or at, at even uh, after it. Uh, but, but pretty clearly, uh, I believe, we see uh, the uh, hour catching away before the tribulation uh, and then the tribulation period during which some believers will die. Well, they have to be resurrected. And so uh, there's, there is evidently a resurrection of tribulation saints, uh, those who are saved during the tribulation, just after the tribulation, kind of kind of wedged between the tribulation and the millennium, if you will. John sees them. Verse 4, I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. Uh, and I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness uh, of, of Jesus and for the word of God, uh, which hath not worshipped the beast. They, they refused uh, to worship the beast during the tribulation, neither his image, uh, neither had received his mark upon their foreheads. Uh, sure, they, they refused to receive that mark that would allow them to conduct commerce, to buy and sell, uh, Mike, evidently, because they understood that would be a mark of ownership, a brand, like a, like a cow might be branded. Uh, it's, it's a mark of identification and ownership. And so uh, people who are genuinely saved during the tribulation will not receive that because they're genuinely owned by, they've been redeemed by uh, Christ. And so uh, they, ju they just won't. It's not how they're saved, but this, that's a decision that genuinely saved people uh, will not make. Uh, we used to know a man who argued that this was a, a different means of, of uh, a salvation during the tribulation. People would be saved by not taking the mark. Well, no, that'd be, that'd be a works-based salvation model. But uh, salvation always has been, is, and always will be by grace through faith. People place their faith in Christ who was to come or who came uh, or, or who has come. There's, there's, only, the, there's only those two choices. Uh, that's not changed. Uh, that certainly hasn't changed. And so 
It's not that people will be saved during the tribulation by not taking the mark of the beast, but uh, simply that saved people will not do that. Uh, they, they will not do that. Uh, so these are they that did not um, worship the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark upon their forehead or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ uh, a thousand years. So uh, sure, those saved during the tribulation, the, 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 those who were martyred uh, after they were saved during the tribulation, uh, evidently they are resurrected, they're living and reigning with Christ a thousand years together with us. Uh, and we'll, we'll have great privilege, no doubt, to know them. Think about that. You'll have the opportunity, uh, no doubt, across those thousand years to get to know those folks. Tell us what that was like uh, and uh, to, to marvel with them at their God-given strength to, uh, to resist the beast, to not take the, uh, not take the mark, uh, to die for Christ, the one who died for us. We'll, we'll have the privilege uh, to know these folks, no doubt. We'll have a thousand years to do that. Verse 5, but the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection, right? So those who, who died without knowing Christ, uh, they're going to be resurrected also, but not until the end, evidently, of the uh, thousand-year reign of Christ. So that'll be the great white throne judgment that will occur at the end of the millennium. So you have resurrection, of, that'll be us before the tribulation. You have a resurrection of tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation. And you have a resurrection of the lost, um, resurrection of the lost at the end of the millennium. Uh, by the way, some see, and just to complicate it, I guess, uh, I think this is probably correct, that Old Testament believers uh, arguably are resurrected with the tribulation saints at the end of the tribulation. I think we can make a biblical case for that. Um, if that's not the case, the Lord will correct us, but I think that's most likely the case. And so that's a little bit of a complication, advanced material, Brother Ray. We'll not try to make a biblical case for that today, but uh, don't certainly don't be surprised uh, if, if that is the case. So yeah, John has the wonderful privilege to see a vision uh, of these folks and uh, resurrected after all that they've uh, suffered. Verse six says this, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. Uh, on such the second death hath no power, uh, but, remember, but always signifies a contrast. So you're reading along and you see the word but, there's going to be a contrast after that. Uh, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Uh, so there's a lot there. Uh, uh, those who are with Christ in the tribulation, uh, forgive me, in the millennium, those who have been saved uh, prior to the millennium, they're called blessed and holy. Uh, on such the second death hath no power. Uh, second death would appear biblically to be an allusion to what? Uh, what, what is the second death? Uh, you die once physically. Um, you, I, I believe it, it's best understood as an allusion to hell, uh, suffering eternal punishment in hell uh, as a result of refusing to receive forgiveness in Christ, uh, the eternal death of hell. Uh, contrast with, with the, the physical death of, of the body. So 
uh, yeah, these saved people, uh, no saved person will ever experience uh, a moment in hell. Uh, the second death hath no power, so not in hell, uh, but instead they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him uh, a thousand years. And so, uh, yeah, we'll have the privilege during the millennium to reign uh, with Christ. This phrase, priests of God and of Christ, interesting. Um, just look back, uh, flip all the way back to chapter 1 for a second. Uh, chapter 1, go there real fast. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. I see a couple of places here. Uh, chapter 1, verse 6. Revelation chapter 1, verse 6. It says, hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. Uh, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. And so... Uh, there again, an allusion to our millennial role as kings and priests, uh, those who will serve ruling and reigning with Christ, Brother Ray, under him, certainly. Uh, understand that we're made joint heirs with him, but we're not him. Uh, we, we will have the privilege to rule and reign with him uh, as kings and priests. Look at chapter 5, verse 10. Go there real fast. Flip ahead to chapter 5. Uh, Revelation chapter 5, verse 10. Uh, he's, Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, hath made us uh, unto our God kings and priests, uh, and we shall reign on the earth. So uh, this idea appears several times in, in Revelation. Uh, and of course, I think you see allusion to similar idea in uh, 1 Peter 2 and verse 9. I'll read it. Go there if you want. But 1 Peter 2.9 says, But ye are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, uh, a peculiar people. So we're, we're called the royal priesthood uh, back in, in 1 Peter uh, chapter 2 as well. And so uh, this certainly, certainly interesting language. Um, let's move on here. Uh, Revelation 20, chapter 7 uh, and 8 uh, this would seem to be an allusion to that final uprising at the conclusion of the uh, millennium. Now, I will say this, there, there is some confusion or some difficulty uh, because if you look in verse 8, there's a reference to Gog and Magog. You see that there, um, a reference to Gog and, and Magog. Um, won't turn there this morning for time's sake, but in Ezekiel 38, 39, uh, there's a reference, an allusion to a Gog and Magog also, uh, which seems to be um, uh, an allusion to military alliance that probably involves, no, no surprises here, Russia, seem to be the case, and we won't get into all the reasons to understand it that way this morning, but uh, seems to be the case that they are involved in, in bringing war uh, during the tribulation period. And so there, there's a reference to Gog and Magog uh, in Ezekiel that, that pretty clearly is properly understood to occur within the tribulation period. But then here in Revelation 20, verses 7, 8, and 9, you have this Gog-Magog reference also, but we're not in the tribulation period. Uh, the context here in Revelation 20 
uh, is after the tribulation. Very, very plainly, it's, it's set in the, uh, the millennium now. And so uh, there, I think there's some confusion. So I think it's very, it's, again, it's a little bit advanced. We won't get into all the reasons this morning, but uh, just try to keep in mind or make a note, the Gog-Magog reference in Ezekiel seems to allude to a tribulation, uh, tribulation warfare, war, whereas the reference here in um, Revelation 20 uh, seems to be similar language that's alluding to the revolt at the end of the millennium rather than during the tribulation. So uh, make a note. It's, it's worth, it's, it's worth uh, kind of trying to note that distinction and keep this in mind. Otherwise, uh, if you don't try to keep that distinction in mind, this can become rather confusing uh, very quickly. If you're not confused already, you're not, you're not. Verse seven, when the thousand years are expired, so after the thousand year millennial reign of Christ, uh, Satan shall be loosed out of his prison. Uh, the Lord uh, will, will allow this. Uh, he will affect this. Uh, and he, Satan, shall go out to deceive the nations uh, which are in the four quarters of the earth, verse 8, uh, Gog and Magog, uh, so that same language, uh, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as uh, the sand of the sea. It's really interesting and, and, Mike, a little bit heartbreaking, I think, to think that there could be that many who will rebel against the Lord at the conclusion of, of the thousand-year millennium, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. That's a lot of people, uh, evidently. Well, there evidently were a lot of people born to those tribulation saints throughout the millennium, and they're, uh, although um, they don't, um, they don't um, all get saved and therefore die, their numbers increase, Brother Ray, probably geometrically throughout thousand year time frame. Uh, and so sure, there's gonna be uh, quite a large number of descendants of the tribulation saints uh, after a thousand years. Uh, and evidently many of, them, many of them do not get saved, even though uh, even though the, the, the resurrected, glorified Christ uh, is on the scene, he, he's present, even though uh, they'll have all of Scripture and uh, the ability to see the fulfillment of all of Scripture, most of, most of Scripture fulfilled at least at that, throughout their lives, uh, all but these very final things. Uh, even though Christ will be present, uh, even though... Uh, it seems that the, um, there's a, a millennial temple uh, where sacrifices are being performed that will remind everyone uh, what Christ has accomplished for them. Remember those sacrifices picture uh, the sacrifice of Christ. So um, that's, that's human nature, Brother Mike. It, we, we naturally rebel against any and all authority uh, even that of the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as believers to not rebel uh, against you. Um, and so they, re they rebel, they revolt. Verse 9, they went up uh, on the breadth of the earth, encompassed the camp of the saints about and the beloved city. 
uh, and fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And so just as Christ comes at the end of the millennium uh, and concludes that, that uh, what we tend to call the last battle of Armageddon at the close of, of the tribulation, I meant to say, uh, there's another battle of rebellious people at the end of the millennium, and the Lord supernaturally puts that down, uh, just as Christ puts down the, those that oppose him at the end of the tribulation uh, at Armageddon, the plains of Megiddo there. Uh, and so fire comes from heaven, from God, out of heaven, and devours them. Uh, that's it. Uh, no more rebellion against the Lord. Satan... Uh, in verse 10, is cast in the lake of fire, evidently, permanently now. Uh, verse 10, the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire. Praise God, that's this part of our hope. Uh, and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are and shall be tormented day and night uh, forever and ever. So the beast and the false prophet are already there, uh, it would seem. I think we saw allusions to that back in chapter 19. Uh, now Satan, who has empowered uh, the beast and the false prophet, uh, he too is permanently uh, cast into the lake of fire. Zach, this seems to be different from hell, right? It, seem, it seems to be uh, a place of torment and punishment that is not the same as hell. It's, it's certainly like hell uh, in many ways, but it does seem to be different from hell. Uh, it's, it's described somewhat differently. So the um, uh, what will happen soon after this is the great white throne uh, judgment where uh, the lost will be resurrected from hell uh, and then cast in the lake of fire as the final punishment for uh, their sins. And we see that in ver verse 11. So our great white throne, there it is. Uh, and him that sat on it, uh, Christ, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, there was found no place for them. I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. Uh, and the books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life. Uh, and the dead were judged out of those things which are written in the books uh, according uh, to their works, according to their works. Um, now, we understand that um, uh, they're judged for their sin, right, Zach? Um, is there a sense in which we're going to be judged for our works? Well, we're going to stand before Christ at the judgment seat of Christ after the rapture. Brother Ray, we're going to be judged not for our sin, we're saved, uh, but for our service, right? We'll, we'll be judged for our service uh, at the judgment seat of Christ, and he will mete out rewards uh, according to our service. I believe that service uh, performed in through a local church like this one because that is the Lord's plan uh, for this time, local churches and, and local church ministry. It was seen that um, the reward, our reward at the, uh, forgive me, at the judgment seat of Christ will be according to our service, brother Ray, in a sense proportional to our service. And so uh, here in verses 11 and 12, you have the lost being resurrected uh, at, the judge, not, at the great white throne judgment and being judged according to their works, uh, their sinful works, no doubt, is, is how we should understand that. But, Zach, the idea that the, the judgment of the lost is according to their works, 
I think probably uh, implies that judgment will be proportional to their sin also. I think this is, I will just offer that for your consideration at least, just as our reward will be proportional to our service and the character of our service, I would argue the place also, uh, this language would seem to imply that the punishment of the lost will be proportional to the severity of their sin as well. I think that's at least at least strongly uh, possible. <laughs> the language uh, points to that possibility at least. And so, you know, someone like a Hitler, assuming that he was lost when he died, might experience a greater punishment than someone whose sins were less than a Hitler. Uh, I think that that is certainly a possibility here. Uh, it doesn't mean they won't suffer in, in hell for all of eternity, but the degree of punishment might be proportional to the severity of their sin. They're judged according to their works. Uh, verse 13, the sea gave up the dead which were in it, the lost. Uh, the death uh, and hell delivered up the dead which were in them. So, right, today if a lost person dies, they go to hell. To be absent from the body for us is to be present with the Lord, but for a lost person to die and be absent from the body is, is to go immediately to hell. So these are being delivered up from, from hell. Uh, and they're judged every man again, uh, John reiterates, according to their works. Uh, verse 14, death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. And so, right, those who are in hell today, who are resurrected after the millennium and judged at the great white throne judgment uh, by Christ according to their sinful works are then cast into the lake of fire, the same place that Satan, uh, the Satan and the beast and the false prophet uh, have been cast into previously. Uh, John says, this is the second death. Uh, and then verse 15, whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into uh, the lake of fire. And so um, that's the end of the chapter. So uh, there are some difficulties here, but certainly uh, I think we can understand it. I think we've, we, we've handled it biblically. You may, you may take issue with one or two things I said. There's maybe more. I don't know. I hope not. But uh, I, I do my best to understand these things biblically, comparing Scripture with Scripture. I think we've done that uh, this morning. Um, now, Brother Ray, you, you look at this chapter and you say, well, well how, what should I do with it? It's, it's good to have knowledge of future things. Uh, and it is, amen, it's, it's, the Lord has seen fit to inform us uh, through John regarding the, these future things. And so there must be a reason for that. There must be a purpose for that. The Lord is purposeful. He acts with purpose. He, uh, no doubt he's interested in something more than us simply being aware of these things. And so stop and consider uh, for a moment, what value is there for you um, in knowing that there's a future millennium? What value? What is that? Does that benefit you somehow? Uh, does that benefit, Brother Ray, does it benefit you to know that your future is the, the millennium uh, followed by new heaven and new earth, eternity in the, in the new Jerusalem? Is, is there value in that? Zach, what's the value for you? 
right. You, you know that no, no matter how challenging life this side of heaven might be, you have this wonderful eternal future uh, to look forward to. And life this side of heaven can be pretty challenging, right? It's, uh, it's likely to remain fairly challenging, but you have the millennium uh, and then new heaven and, and new earth to look forward to with Christ. And so, right, that, that's our certain hope. And so we, we ought to be hopeful. We ought to choose to respond with hope uh, and how about this? How about gratitude also? Lord, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that I, I have this certain hope uh, because of Christ. Thank you so much. Uh, and then there's the reality of hell uh, and a lake of fire that's reviewed here. And what, what should we do with that? Well, I'll, I'll, do you have a thought? What do you do with that? How do you respond to that? Yeah, it ought to motivate, Zach said, should motivate us to evangelism, to share the gospel. Uh, absolutely, because we don't want anyone to spend a moment in hell. Uh, we don't want anyone to be resurrected after the millennium at the great white throne judgment to be judged according to their sinful works and to then be cast into the lake of fire. And nobody has to be, right? Uh, nobody who's still alive has to experience that. We get out there and share the gospel uh, with whomever will listen, and with the knowledge that uh, preaching of God's word does not return void, some will be saved. Uh, and, you know, the Lord is using us. He's relying upon us to carry out the Great Commission to go and teach the gospel and to uh, baptize the believer into an assembly like this one and to disciple them uh, to continue that, that process. Yeah. Uh, it, ought to, it ought to really encourage us. You know, we think about lost friends and lost family and lost co-workers and lost neighbors. They really are on their way to this tragic end uh, if, if not for coming to Christ with a humble, repentant faith. And the uh, Lord's given us the, the great commission of, of carrying out the, the bringing of, of that message. And so... When it's Saturday morning, it's time to go. When the Lord gives you opportunity throughout the week to share the gospel, it's time to go and share the gospel. Uh, give, offer someone a gospel track. Offer someone your testimony. Have a John and Romans. Have a gospel track ready. Uh, sometimes people say, I can't share the gospel. Well, learn to share the gospel. If you still feel like you can't do that, have gospel tracks. Anyone can hand a gospel track. Uh, to anyone. And so, right, there, there certainly are very practical implications of the knowledge that the Lord has seen fit to share uh, through John here. And so let's be hopeful, but let's also be prepared to take action for the Lord so that others can know the same hope. We better stop there. Uh, let's pray. Father, thank you, uh, Lord, this morning for this chapter. It's an extraordinary privilege uh, to know these future things. Lord, we, we do count it a privilege. And uh, I pray this morning that we not stop there, that we, we count it a privilege, but a privilege with purpose. Lord, I pray you help us to be hopeful and thankful this morning, but also to take action that others would know the same uh, hope uh, and purpose in these thy words. Lord, thank you so much for the privilege to teach this passage this morning. 
uh, it is a privilege. Uh, Lord, thank you for those who are here this morning. I pray that you bless them for their faithfulness uh, to be in the Sunday school hour. Lord, as we look ahead to the next hour, uh, I pray that you will work here. Uh, Lord, as, as people come in for the morning service, I pray that uh, they'll come with hearts bowed before you, uh, with hearts prepared to worship you. Lord, I pray this morning that we would all seek you now for grace and strength uh, to worship you uh, in song this morning, and uh, Lord, to receive your words uh, as they are preached this morning. Lord, if there's something in our lives that needs to be gotten right today, uh, I pray that you'll shine a light on that in our hearts. Lord, search our hearts. Uh, show us uh, if there's something that needs to be gotten right with you. Uh, Lord, if not, I pray that you simply give us hearts to worship you, to exalt you, to glorify you, to magnify you uh, this morning. Uh, Lord, knowing uh, that we're here uh, for your pleasure, for your good pleasure. Lord, help us to be just that today. Father, we love you this morning. We thank you. We pray all of this now in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, thanks for being here. We'll see you back soon. Thank you. 